Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. This is going to be episode one. And uh, before we get started, the, the whole reason we kind of started doing this whole podcast deal was with uh, the different social media ch- uh, channels that we have these days. There's just so many different ways uh, to reach people, and, and people are trying to find our kind of content through different outlets than just TV. And, and we thought a podcast would be a really good way um, just for a different a different way to answer some of y'all's questions, cover some topics in more detail that we don't really ever get to cover on the TV show, and and we're just gonna give this podcast thing a try, see what it's see what it's like. So today I've got Troy Ruiz and Jordan Blissett with me. And you know what I like about the idea, and you came up with this idea. And for me, the cool thing about it is, it's, it's everybody when they watch TV, they watch it on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm on what we're shooting, right. whereas with a podcast, we can share it with them on a weekly basis, exactly. or sometimes daily if we want to, so yeah. that's, that's a great idea on your part. I thought it was awesome for you to say that. Well, yeah, it's the thing, too, is, you know, the way the, the Outdoor Channel works, you know, we what we're talking about today is some of the, the elk trips we just came off of, and that won't make it to TV until next July. summer. Yeah, next July. Yeah, July. So, and people are elk hunting right now, and, you know, it's so, especially with it, to a certain degree with Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, you're seeing some of that stuff on a, a much more, it's a lot quicker turnover. But on this, you know, we can, like the whole plan on this is we're just going to talk about the elk hunts. Well, and a guy yeah. can sit on top of a mountain because you and I and Jordan, we all know that when you get to a certain altitude, you start getting really good service. Yeah. And you get on top <laughs> of a mountain. And if a guy's out there elk hunting, he can sit there and listen to this podcast yeah. and kind of listen to some tips yeah. and tactics and hear what's going on in our part of the world because I had a friend of mine send me a text last night after some of our pictures showed up on uh, Instagram and stuff that you, you guys put out Right. and he's like man I was like 10 miles down the road from y'all and we didn't have the success y'all had and yeah. our elk wasn't doing this or our elk wasn't doing that they were bugling a little bit we killed two but it was hard and right. so it you know it, it's amazing to, to be able to do that but be able to stay in touch with everybody a lot tighter yeah, than yeah for sure and, and the thing too is you know another thing is you know getting information out, out this quick is you may some of it may be helpful to people you know some yeah. of them might be dealing with some of the same struggles we dealt with because we had we had more struggles this year uh in new mexico than or i'd not say more just different struggles yeah. than i've dealt with in the other yeah. three times i've been out there montana was rough because yeah. of the weather yeah well let's let's get into that sure tell me about montana that's all you well, i wasn't there it started off bad for me. You know, first of all, I, it ain't that I'm scared to fly. I don't <laughs> like flying anymore, especially with the amount of equipment that we're right, flying with now. Right. And uh, I was supposed to leave here in Jackson at 6 a.m., and I'm standing there talking to the little lady at the counter while we're getting my tickets and all my luggage put in there. And all of a sudden, I look up on a TV screen behind her, and it goes, Dink, and it changes to 9 o'clock. And I said, ma'am, I said, my flight just changed to 9 o'clock. And she's like, yeah, right. So she turned around and looked at it, and she looks back at me, and she, she plainly looks at me and goes, how'd you do that? <laughs> I said, I didn't do that. I said, my flight just changed. But anyway, lo and behold, I didn't leave till 9, yeah. which got me missing my connecting flight, and I wound up having a nine-and-a-half-hour layover in Denver. So I didn't get where I wanted in a hurry, and I thought, boy, if this is going to be how the trip's going already, it's not going to be no fun. But Sheesh. finally got there and met Brad and Wilbur at the airport. Everything went good the first morning. We got on some milk. We had some camera issues right. uh, because of the airlines. I won't mention any names as airlines go, but uh, that's one of my big pet peeves about flying is the more equipment you have and the heavier your, equip- your equipment or your luggage becomes, I think the more they tend to get upset and mm-hmm. chunk it a little bit more. Yeah. So my camera was a little jacked up. Mm. I had to fix it, and um, we got on one bull about 930 that morning, and he, he came on in perfect to Wilbur. 
uh, almost kind of quiet. He was bugling down in the bottom, and when he started coming in, he, he kind of shut up, and it was extremely calm that morning. Yeah. And this bull got to about 35 yards and just picked us out plain as day. Yeah. Um, we were a little bit skyline, and Wilbur couldn't shoot him because it was quartering to him, so we let him go. Tried to get on some more elk that morning. The elk were bugling good, but by about 9.30, they had shut down. Just really? completely went quiet, which was good because it gave us an opportunity to to go down to the bottom a little bit, take a little bit of a break, and get some well well and much needed sleep. Yeah. And then came back uh, that afternoon and got on a couple of bulls, but just couldn't do nothing with them. But the next morning, uh, that's when the weather was starting to change. Mm-hmm. We had a huge front coming. They was, they was predicting a little bit of snow, uh, according to them. Uh, and Will wind up, we wind up getting on the bull about, I guess about 9.30 that morning. And that's when Wilbur shot his biggest bull to date. We actually, the cool thing was, is we, we were, we were riding in the truck, and that's the neat thing about the CA ranch is Frank grew up on that ranch and right. knows that ranch yeah. like the back of his hand. And we came over this one ridge, and we were going to walk. It's about a mile walk from where we were going to go. When we came over the ridge, the elk were right there in the bottom. So I jumped out the truck with the video camera, and the first elk I zoom in on is this huge, huge 7 by 6 Is that one? The big it one. wound up being the same bull. <laughs> gotcha. So cool. they were they were going from our left to our right, which was putting them from they were going from west to east, and we had a northeast wind blowing, which was perfect. Right. You so I looked exactly. So I looked at Frank. I said, "Man, what are we going to do?" He says, "I know where they're going." Again, having a guide, having somebody that knows the land and understanding mm-hmm. geography, Frank knew exactly where those elk were going. So we jumped back in the truck, made a mile and a half ride all the way around this huge ridge that Frank calls Elkhorn Ridge. Then, okay, I know where you're at now. And got out the truck on the very east end of the ridge. And then we got out the truck, came over the ridge, and they were there. Really? See, that's Two. what that's one of the things, it, whether you're, I guess you, you always relate elk hunting to turkey hunting because of the, the calling aspect of yeah. it. But it's so it's so easy to forget how important, like, there's there's nothing that replaces the value of knowing where no. knowing the terrain and exactly. knowing your country because I mean and having Frank's knowledge there and knowing exactly. that's where those elk and, are and going and people make that comment sometimes well you guys have got a guide you're not the elk experts you say you are well guess what if if somebody if a friend of mine from Montana comes down here and wants to go fishing or duck hunting I want him to call me because I want them to have a good and exactly. fun hunt doesn't mean that they're killing it for you but if they know the geography and know the lay of the land it's kind of it kind of reminds me of my first trip to New York City I had a friend of mine that lives close to New York City, and I went over in PA speaking at his church. And I said, man, me and my wife's going to come two days early, and just we're just going to go ride around in New York City. He says, mm, you might not want to do that. <laughs> I said, well, yeah. what do you mean? He said, well, first of all, you're going to get lost on the subway, and second of all, you don't know where you're going. He said, right. I'm going to take two days off of work. Me and my wife will go with you. Had I not had them bring me to New York City, I'd probably still be there trying to figure be out. Be lost trying to figure out. It's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. I mean, it's the same principle, and it's the same deal. I mean, yeah, I mean, we hear that. You see comments like that pop up on the social stuff all the time. You have a guy. I mean, yes, you do. Have, but it's it's just, like you said, it's the same kind of deal. You yeah. know, I mean, like you you can't replace that kind of knowledge. And, no. and it's not always that you know that situation. Some places we go to, you know, like the where the New Mexico where we're talking mm-hmm. about after this. You and uh, I mean, I've been there for four years now. You mm-hmm. and Brad and, and and all the other guys have been hunting that for. Yeah, four, Brad and I've well. been hunting that for like fifteen years. Right. Now. So it's not when you go out there, it's not like it's a new. It's it's almost like hunting a, man, I don't know, like a deer camp or something. You've been in for years. You just and, you kind of know. You adapt to the, the elk change every now and then, depending on what's going on. If we got acorns there, the elk change. If there's acorns there, right. depending on the water and depending on the spring and the summer that they have. But usually those elk on that ranch are doing the same mm-hmm. thing every year. And if mm-hmm. you just take your time and and bide your time you're going to get in exactly but going back to wilbur's hunt so we come up over the ridge and you can hear them all down there in the bottom coming up they were coming up elkhorn ridge 
and we got in there and the first two bulls that come in the first one was a shooter and he comes in and we got kind of got caught it was will me brad miss mary and frank okay brad miss mary and frank are calling for will mm -hmm. well when we got all wadded up right there we couldn't move mm -hmm. and we couldn't call yeah. so miss mary and frank tried to back up just a little bit and that bull wound up seeing us the cool thing about this hunt for me was was the the color of the morning you know they had all those fires out in the western part of the united yeah, states yeah and i was doing everything i could to white balance my camera to, to get it right i kept <laughs> thinking why am i keep getting this red tint well it was the smoke that was out there and it was just it was beautiful man the wow. sun was coming through it so that bull winds up seeing us and he didn't freak out he just went back and got with the herd i was about to say i knew something had to have happened because you're not going to tell me that a bull came in and wilbur didn't try no, to shoot no, him no. <laughs> i know Will too well he couldn't get a shot and it was it was one of those things and he kind of looked at me with that you know that yeah. face <laughs> yeah so those elk actually turned and went back up the ridge so we started following them and then we wind up crawling right in the middle of them the wind was perfect and you know as well as i do and jordan does too when the wind's perfect and you got all the factors in your favor on elk and, and the ruts happen and they're all paying attention to the cows mm -hmm. and all that's happening, if you just take your time, you can walk right in the middle oh, of them. Oh, absolutely. And that's what absolutely. we did. And when we realized we was in the middle of them, we had elk 360 degrees around us. Mm. We had cows behind us, left, front, right. And this one six by six comes in and he's probably, he's probably a 310 bull. And I see Wilbur put his yeah. <laughs> release on his string. I'm like, Will, Will, Will. He goes, you can't hear. Will, what? I said, don't shoot that one. He's small. You sure? I said, yeah, let him go. And no sooner I said that, you can hear that big bull in the bottom. Mm -hmm. just, he's coming up. And this ridge is steep. You've been there. Oh, yeah. When the bull gets to the top and pops over where we can see him, he, he looks like he just ran. Well, he did. He just ran two miles. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, <laughs> and when he got there, he was slam wore out. And immediately I zoomed in on him right over Will's shoulder, and I looked at the bull, and he turns his head, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a shooter. I said, that's the biggest elk I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And Wilbur said the same thing. And once we focused on him, he chased cows around a little bit. and There was this one little bull coming up the ridge, and you can hear him coming up the ridge. Mm -hmm. And that bull took off running. I thought he was leaving. I thought he spooked. But he took off running and chased that bull. Running out of the bull line. Yeah. Well, Brad had got pinned down next to me and Wilbur and couldn't do anything so he just laid down well this bull comes running through covered in mud he looked like you know looked like a kind of remind me of the prodigal son when he came back and he just looked <laughs> dirty yeah well he comes running back and he runs by brad and just about steps on brad Ooh. he runs by and you see him go out of frame and then you see the big bull come up over and he finally comes up and gives wilbur a shot and wilbur shoots him at, at 40 i think it was 43 yards right. something, give or take a yard or two and uh didn't make the perfect shot right but that's part of elk hunting. It's going to happen. We and then you don't ever exactly. you always try for exactly. the perfect shot. He shot him shot, back. There was a little stick, and Wilbur had to stoop down to shoot under this stick. And and he didn't he didn't hit the stick. When the arrow went by the stick, I saw the stick shake. I think what happened was it went on the right side of the twig, mm -hmm. and it caught the fletching and made the arrow turn to Deflected the left. Deflected a little bit, and it and it hit him it hit him far back, low, but shooting those big rage broadheads. Mm -hmm. The second that arrow hit that bull, he made about six steps, and I was looking at him on video, and he was sick immediately. Yeah. I mean, immediately, he just kind of, something ain't right. And he was chasing a cow, and they got up to the top of the ridge, and the, the cow that he was with turned right to go down with the rest of the herd. And he made one step to go with her down that steep yeah. hill, and he realized nah, this ain't going to work. Yeah. He turned left and went off by himself. So we left him, and uh, we made the... The choice and the decision to come back the next morning, right? Which it was cold enough. It, it was. Right. It, it was cold, and we had all. The only thing that concerned me was going to be all that weather coming in. Right. We knew it was rain. We knew it was going to snow, and we got it the next morning. And it's freaking pouring. 
Oh. I'm talking about pouring. I'm like crud. Snow's coming down up on top. So we went up there and we we spread out. It was me, Brad, and Frank. Miss Mary didn't go because the weather was bad. No blood shooting them that low. Right. You know, when you shoot something in the gut and or the intestines, the hole just clogs up. Right. And we started walking and we went about 400, 425 yards. And, and I, what I was doing, I went down the main trail he stood on, which is the main trail that runs right down the top of that ridge. Mm-hmm. And I just stayed on that trail. Brad went to the right, Wilbur went to the left, and Frank stayed behind us all in case we bumped him and he went around. And as I'm going down that main trail, I'm going to every little spruce thicket I could see. Right. Just to see if he's laying in. A likely place for him to put In the fourth thicket, when I come around this little Christmas tree, I could see his horns up there about 60 yards. He was laying on his side, facing away from me. And I was like, holy smokes. And walked up to him. And, and to be honest with you, I had no idea he was that big till I put my hands on him. How big was he? He was 384. Gosh almighty. And, well, give or take an inch or two. We measured him at 386, but Wilbur says, I think he's 384, but I think he's 386. Um, he was, you look at him and you swear he's a 390 bull. Yeah. And I hollered at Wilbur. I said, woo! <laughs> and Wilbur couldn't hear me. I said, woo, Wilbur! And he goes, hey! I said, I got your bull. Well, you know how Wilbur is. Wilbur's like, why would he play a trick on me like this about having my bull? Because it didn't take us 30 minutes to find him. Really? So he, he didn't go that he far. Can't, he just no, went somewhere and laid down. He went 400 yards and laid down. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the things that helped us when I got there, he was really, really stiff. I think he died a lot quicker than I thought he, than we would think right. he would. But when he laid down, he laid on his side with the arrow. And it oh, pushed okay. the arrow back through him. Right. It didn't exit out the other side, but the arrow was still in him. And it shoved him up, up, shoved it up in there. So anyway... We found a bull and then became the task of getting him out of there with the rain and the snow going on. And then when it started snowing that afternoon, um, by the time we got down to the mountain, we didn't hunt that afternoon, but went back the next morning with Brad and it was still snowing and raining. It wasn't as bad, it was fixing to be that afternoon. Mm-hmm. We got on a bull with Brad, um, called this bull in, uh, in the rain, and this bull comes just bugling, just tearing the woods up coming in. And we were in some really big trees, really, really big Christmas. I call them Christmas trees, but just spruce Christmas like, trees. Spruce like trees. Huge timber. Thing. Huge timber. So open. It's well open. open. Basically, these elk, that's kind of where they spend their day bedding mm-hmm. up. It's at the very top of the ridge. And this bull comes in there, and he can see everything. And it's yeah. just me and Brad sitting by a tree. Frank, Mary, and Wilbur are down 150 yards calling. Mm-hmm. And this bull's focused solely on them. And when this bull gets to about 30 yards, Brad goes to stop him. And because it was real windy and, and blowing really hard and raining, Brad mewed at him a little bit louder than he should. And this bull just came uncorked. I haven't seen one do that in 10 yeah. years. Well, that's what I said, because that's what, I mean, even you when saw I... saw the footage. Well, when, just, I, well, when I started, yeah. Well, when, I, when I started, even before I started here, when you watch those elk hunt, you know, I mean, yeah, that that's happened yeah. hundreds of times. That's mm-hmm. how I many you mew, and usually they just kind of yeah. stop and go, huh, you know? Yeah. But he turned inside out. I think what it was is because it was so open there. Mm-hmm. When Brad mewed, he immediately, I mean, the mew and him looking at the same exact time, he picked us out and realized that that's, that's not, not right. A, yeah, that's not a Because if you think about it, both of us were kneeling down, we're sitting together. We, we look like two little bears sitting there, to be honest with you. And I, <laughs> I'm thinking that's what he may have saw. So right. anyway, he left out of there like a wild man and got to about 45 yards. And Brad says, you got him? I said, I can't see him. I can't see him. Don't right. shoot. So we had to let him go. And we got on one more bull, and he came in, and he wound up being a little bit too small. Brad didn't want to shoot him because of the, the you know, the, the, that ranch is it's really famous for some really, really yeah. good bulls. And, I mean, well, had Will had just gotten a 386. Well, you only get a, old, a good bull by being That's old. right. And right. and Frank has asked us years and years past, he said, look, guys, I, I know y'all don't get to come much, and, and, and the elk is an elk is an elk. And I'm, you know, me, if 
if he bugles and comes running in, I'm, I'm shooting yeah. him. I don't care what he is. Walks but, like a man, talks but, like a yeah, man. Yeah, but Frank, <laughs> Frank asked us, he said, if y'all could try to shoot mature bulls, he says, it's really doing my herd good to, to try to stay on and that's bulls. I mean, that's the right way to sure. do it anyway, sure. especially on a place like that. But the thing, too, to, to talk about that is, you know, a, a lot of things that, you know, people think that we always – have success. You always have. I mean, you know, Will did kill three eighty six, so mm-hmm. you can't really. But in terms of Brad, I mean, even when you're hunting the best places in the world, oh, it's play, you know, some of the, it's still hunting. It's there's hunting. still wild critters. Stuff it's can go hunting. wrong. I mean, Brad didn't kill a bull on that no, trip. No, he he did not. It's just the conditions that, that between that and the started snow. snowing. And when I'm telling you snowing, by the time it finished snowing the next day, which was only about a, a, a nine hour deal between when we hunted and the next morning mm-hmm. that afternoon. Um, we came back to the top the next morning, and we really hardly could get up there in the truck. It was about two foot of snow at the top. Yeah. You saw the pictures and the footage. and We got up there, and from 9.30 that morning to 2.45 that afternoon, did not hear an elk or see an elk. And for the CA, that's nuts. That's nuts. Why, why do you think that happened? The snow pushed them down. All the elk left. Really? You think they all went down? All the elk left the, up con- the top top part of the country and all went straight Just down. Went low. And when they went down, they scattered out. They didn't mm-hmm. go down in a herd. Even the cattle, which Frank, it's a working cattle ranch. When we were going up that morning, we were meeting cattle coming down. It kind of reminded me of Hurricane Katrina, the evacuation. Mm. When everybody, getting out everybody of was leaving. Yeah. Oh, shoot, winter's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Get those, out. Those cattle, I'll be honest with you, when you met, met them in a the road, they wasn't moving over. Yeah. You had to sit there and let them go around. They you didn't want to get out of the No, they, they stayed on in that road and they were going down. And it's yeah. funny because that morning when we were leaving Frank's house, you know, he lives down in the bottom on the river. And we were leaving, and there was a bull with about eight cows standing in one of his hay fields. And we looking at him, and I said, Frank, do those elk come down here? He said, oh, yeah, they come down here in winter. And when he said that, I thought, well, it's not winter. We're in September. And that elk, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay down there. He wanted to stay right there. Actually, I wish we would have hunted him because he was a really good bull, but yeah. we felt they like thought going they still to the top. High, yeah. And then when we got up there, we realized what was going on. And so, right. for, so for two and a half days, we trekked through snow, and... Finally, the last afternoon, we found him down low, but it was late, late in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and we got on one, and he, he didn't come in. Brad, I can honestly say that's the first time in a long time at the CA that Brad and Wilbur didn't shoot a bull yeah. together. And it's just the conditions wasn't right. Yeah, it was well, and it can happen. Sure. It, it, it can happen. And like you said, it's still doing what we're doing is not like, a, you know, someone that was on an average hunt, you know, that are not trying to make television or, or you know, sure. video hunts yeah. like we are. More than likely, if you have two shooters, they're going to split up. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we like Wilbur likes to call for Brad. Brad likes to call for Will, yeah. and it's worked in the future. Yeah. But it, it's a, you know, it's a year. And that whole CA Ranch has been a, you know, friend. Frank has become a really big friend to us here, Primos, especially Wilbur and Mary. Uh, he comes down here in the summer and hangs out with them some, and, and and they go up there and do the same thing. So having Frank there, having Miss Mary there, having Brad there, it's it, the more people you got behind you call, the better it oh, is. Oh, for sure. You sound like more elk. For sure. It, it, if it works on a 386, I'm most sure it'll work yeah. on a 300. Yeah, oh, yeah, gosh, yeah. Or a 250. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's change the topics or change the location. Let's go to New Mexico. Well, our goal in New Mexico uh, was first of all to get there, and I had no I had no uh, I had no faith in the airlines to get me there, but they got me there. The next the next day we had on time to, exactly. We had one on day time. to play. Uh, as far as using travel time to get down there. You guys drove. Right. Y'all met us all there in the truck. We got there a day early. Our goal there was to uh, was to get you your first archery elk. Mm-hmm. And the plan was to do two episodes. First episode was going to be you and Wilbur, and then the second episode was going to be me and Will Walker. Right. And uh, you were going first, which was, you know, 
I can only imagine. I watched you practice all summer. I watched you shoot your bow. I watched you take tips and, and take advice from Wilbur, me, Brad, everybody that's done this before. And you took that advice very, very seriously. Yeah. You were out back shooting your bow. You were out back shooting your bow and practicing, stopping them and mm -hmm. giving it a minute and shooting it. And, and that's a big, big deal. You know, so many people, you know, they think if they've, if they've went once or twice, elk hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, whatever, they don't want to take advice from anybody because they feel like they want to, they want to know it all. But, right. man, when you're dealing with an 800-pound animal and, and most people, they, they look at it and they think of it as it's just a, it's just a big bus. If I can get an arrow in it, yeah. I'm going to kill it. But there's so much... There's so many rooms for error, so much room for error that you have to really, and you did great with that. But anyway. Well I, well, I had folks telling me that, too. They were like, because I, I got to the point, I was shooting every day during the summer, mm -hmm. and then when it got about a month out, I was shooting twice a day. Like, mm -hmm. every morning I'd get here early, I'd shoot, and then when and that's I hard home, to do down here because it's so daggum hot. It is. But I, it just, you know, I mean, it was, it's a big opportunity. It was a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. I, and I even had, like, I had some people like, man, you're shooting good enough. I mean, you ain't got to be that precise because they said the same thing like elk so big. But I'm mean, like, man, I want to be. I just didn't want any room for error. Yeah. There's as least chance for a mishap as possible. And the other thing too is, you know, most folks my age, uh, 25 year olds, you, you get the reputation like you're talking about. They want to think they know everything. Sure, sure. And I try to go the opposite direction and rely on like people like you and Brad and Will that have done this for yeah. years and years and years and say, you know, y'all's experience greatly outweighs the four years I've been elk hunting. And yeah, so, I said I mean, that at 25 too. My mom and I finally realized at 25 that my mom and daddy were pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> so when, you know, when you, you were the one that got me, at, you told me, you said, you know, you ought to start practicing with a elk diaphragm calling your mouth, practice stopping them. And I, at first when you, I was like, I don't know why I would need to do that. But it was, the thing about it is the first time I did it, I was like, you know what, if Troy says it's a good idea, I should probably try it. So I went out there to range, I put the call in my mouth, I drew back and I went, Mew. As soon as I went mew, I pulled the shot. Mm -hmm. And it was like there was a, a mental trigger there that I didn't even know yeah. was there. Yeah. And so I it's called brain finger coordination. <laughs> Whatever you call it, I'm glad I practiced it because I got to the point. It took a while. I mean, it really did. It's, I don't know what it was, but it, as soon as I made that mew, I wanted to pull yeah. the shot. And I got to the point I would mew, and at first I would, like, count to five. Like, yeah. I would mew one. To just making myself wait, you know, probably longer well, because, than I need to. And the but, reason I said that is because usually what happens is when an elk's coming in, he has no idea you're there mm -hmm. because you got people behind you calling. And when that elk's coming through there, you're watching him with both eyes. Right. And you're watching where you're going to stop him, where you're going to stop him. And then when you stop him, you think, there's my shot, and you pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. You don't get your nose down on his string. You don't look through your peep. And so many people shoot over him, all because of that reason right there. And I just didn't want that to happen yeah. to you. Well, you that, it was good advice. And it, it, it's, it's with archery, there's... There's so much more room for error than there is with a gun, and it's. Yeah. Just, I mean, you can. It is a very effective method for for killing elk, obviously. But it's you. You got to have your head on right, you and you and you, you got to. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the people you're with. That's calling for you. That's toting the cameras around. You owe it to the animal you're hunting Absolutely. to practice as much. Well, and the thing about it is, when you practice that much, and I know, you you'll probably attest to this, and you'll say you're 100 percent right. You did kill an elk. I did. And, and, and probably Frankly. one of the prettiest elk I've ever seen and prettiest pieces of footage. Jordan laid it down like, you know, Steven Spielberg's going to see this <laughs> and look at it and go, holy crap, we need to hire that boy. But 
you you can honestly say, and I'm going to ask you this right now, I haven't asked you this, but everything you practiced for three months became natural because you did that practice. Mm -hmm. You don't remember doing none of that. No. You drew your bow back and shot the elk right where you were supposed to shoot right. it. And you can't repetition. It's, exactly. it's repetition, and, and everything fits into place, and that comes with practice. Without practicing and doing that, you don't you know, tell them where that hour right. went. And that, Brad told me that, too. He said, you, the, or, and other people say this, the point of practicing as much as you do is when you get in the heat of the moment, say it happens fast, you don't always have mm – -hmm drawback anchor but you get to the point where you practice so much that even if it does happen fast you still go through yeah. the routine yeah. that you're supposed to do to make it's the that, right shot it's muscle memory right it's all muscle memory it's and when like you, shooting a recurve or compound the same principles yeah. it's, it's a bunch of it's instinctive when you pull back and if you've got that repetition down mm -hmm. you're gonna pull back and do it right every time and i can remember back in the day of hunting <clears throat> when i was working at mossy elk i never forget hunting with fuzzy zeller and a couple of guys pro golfers and and they were like that. You know, those guys, those, you look at them and go, gosh, they're incredible golfers. They must be talented. But they, they play every single day. Right. And I don't play golf, but everybody I know that plays golf, that's good at golf, they play all mm -hmm. the time. And I, I can't play all the time. I can't afford another hobby. <laughs> I made my last hobby my occupation. I can promise you Tiger Woods is not going to be threatened by me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing is, too, is, um, and we can, we can talk about this, but uh, we had, I think, how long, I hunted, uh, I don't, it took a few days. Two and a half how, days. How, many, how many close encounters did we have? You killed on the third day, and we right. had maybe five or ten elk within bow range and over that course of time. Golly. And man. one of them being old handlebars. Yeah. He had no main beams left. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, anyone that knows me, especially Troy and Jordan, they know, like, I've never been referred to as picky in the hunting world. <laughs> and so we were set up on this elk, and I could hear him getting closer. And, uh, I, I mean, Troy goes, I see him, and I, you know, I put my, I put my release on my loop, and I'm getting ready, and Troy goes, don't shoot him. I was like, why? He said, he's broke off. I said, I don't care, I'll kill him. Troy was like, don't you shoot that elk. That poor thing. He would have been a big elk. He was oh, an old bull. He steaks on the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All he had was fronts. He was completely broke off. He looked like a big spike. Yeah. But, uh, between, we, but we had so many elk on top of us in bow range, and we just couldn't. It was, I, I started to feel... A little bit down on myself a little bit and not just because i wasn't killing an elk but i knew i had you know i still had wilbur will walker and you troy behind me hunting. i was like man i'm eating everyone else's hunting time up I, well I we spent one day going. watching one herd that probably had 300 elk in it mm -hmm. and how do you how do you handle 300 elk in a herd that don't want to go into the timber? They, they were, that's what i wanted to talk about yeah. absolutely Let, let's talk before we finish that they were so wadded up mm -hmm. and that was I'd never, when we talked about, I said struggles I hadn't dealt with there before. I'd never dealt with that before. I felt mm -hmm. like I was hunting field turkeys, mm -hmm. you know, like a big flock of field turkeys, and you can get hung up. It's exactly the same thing. You get hung up on them all day because you can get out there and look at them. There were some big bulls yeah. out there. Yeah. But we just, you couldn't do anything no. with them. Go back to the first day, I mean, you got there before Troy now. We got up on top of the spear, and uh, we looked across there, and it was elk as far as Everywhere. you could see. Everywhere. Me and Lake are like, holy world of money. <laughs> we're gonna kill elk so fast and we told Troy about it and he's like because <laughs> he'd seen that before we'd never seen that before not there not at that there's usually that time of year we usually see some elk mm -hmm. here and there but not that many there were so well, many if, right there if you there. remember when we crawled up there I told y'all I said you see that rock right there in that tree Brad and I sat there many times and we sat there right there and done that same exact thing and the only thing you can do is you sit there and watch them and you hopefully watch one or two bulls will go into the timber, and mm -hmm. when they do, you go after them. Right. you got to wait for the wind to get right. 
and you hope that you can do that. Sometimes you sit there all day long, and they never move. They just lay down out there. I mean, if you, y'all, y'all remember, there was elk swimming in that water hole that was down yeah. there. They were swimming in the water hole. It looked like a bunch of people at a pool party. Like the sauna. Yeah, exactly. Sauna at the yeah. beach or something. You can't do anything. You just have to watch them and, and buy your time and hope one of them go up in the timber. And but that's, a, that's another thing that goes into play when we're filming these hunts. A person just hunting could have probably snuck down there and maybe got oh, a absolutely. kill an elk. Yep. But... You could have you know, eased down there on your hands and knees and got on the end of that edge of yeah. that timber, and when one of them come walking by, you pop him. Especially because we had the wind. Yeah, but us just, being five in a group with two camera guys and a caller and a shooter, you, it's pretty much impossible to get right. snuck in on a herd elk like it this. It is, yeah. But a lot it, of, Wilbur's always said that the video camera is the most most profitable conservation tool that ever walked on the face of this earth. He's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And just that day, you know, we got in that big herd out, and we finally got some bulls in the timber. How many got by us that Lake could have shot mm-hmm. that the camera saved them? Yep. Yeah. That's just something you learn to deal with if you – if you. Yeah. But uh, but it worked out. It did. And Jeez. Uh, did it work out. Yeah. Well, I can remember – so we'll dissect that one a little bit. We, we went to a spot that we call the Pallone. Um, mm-hmm. and we got on a bull earlier that morning. The one that the herd bull had, had like, we ended up having like 75 or yeah. so cows. I thought it was a hundred when they all he got had up. the whole herd. But, uh, and it's the same, same kind of deal. It was the first one we got on. We, when we initially got on them, we didn't know he had that many cows, but mm-hmm. we ended up setting up on them. Then we start seeing cow. Yeah. We're like, Oh, once we, the, uh, once we set up, set up that morning, you know, we got up there. It was like, well, he's right there. You see him. And. Will started calling, and he come out of the timber just, like, running towards us. I, was like, mm-hmm. right, I thought it was about to happen, yeah. He got halfway across this meadow, maybe 100 yards from us, and just wheeled around right back and went to his cows. And this goes on for, what, an hour and a half, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And finally, Troy and Will just start making all the rackets you can imagine back there behind us, breaking limbs, tearing down trees, just... Trying to sound like a big bull. Yeah. Like a big, and, like, sure enough, I'm going to come in here and, and take all these cows kind of bull. And all of a sudden... I look through my viewfinder, and there's cows coming out the woods. It was like your rain coming off the side of a house. There was cows. I remember that because we didn't. We knew he had a lot of cows. It, when they were all the ones we could see, I thought it was a bull with like 20 cows. Yeah, 15 and 20 cows. But when y'all, when you started raking that tree, making mm-hmm. all that racket, cows pop. It, I, it looked like they were popping up out of the ground. They were everywhere. We were like, oh, no wonder. It was he an old leave. dead cedar tree, and that song gun sounded. It sounded like a bunch of elk horns. Mm-hmm. It really did. Yeah. It was good. But the, this was the coolest thing, and I well, it was cool and it wasn't. It was it's cool now, but at the time I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me!" Because when you first start doing it, all those cows started running right our direction. We were set up on a trail, you know, anticipating mm-hmm. them to come down that trail, and it was gonna work. I was like, "Man, this is about to get intense because we're gonna have a hundred cows running down this trail with a bull running behind them." But that and that the wheel's bull, laying in the middle of the yeah, trail. right. The wheel's about to death by stampede, you know. <laughs> Uh, it would have went viral. Yeah, I promise. Yeah. It would have been a very valuable piece of footage. But as soon as those those cows what got 60 yards, mm-hmm. that bull went nuts and got in the front of them like a cutting horse. Yeah, he said no, sir. heading them off. He turned them the other way and took them across the mountain. Yeah. You know, they, and, they covered a mile within 10 minutes. Which, him just yeah. pushing them cows. He wanted no, He said, nuh-uh, my cows. Pushed them. Yeah. Which, and it's one of those things, I've seen that. Not with that many cows, but I've seen that happen, and it go. I've seen it happen that way, and I've seen it when the cows start running, the bull just follow behind them, and mm-hmm. you end up getting a shot. I filmed mm-hmm. at the at the CA a couple years ago. I filmed will kill one like that. The cows came running in, the bull just came running in behind them, and but it doesn't always work out that way. No, no. it doesn't. The good thing about that though is we knew right where they were going. Right, right. You and we hunted up there enough yeah. to know exactly within a hundred yards where they were going to be. Yeah. At. 
Yeah. We made some adjustments, and we kind of gave them about an hour to do what they needed to do. And we, we went around the whole other side of the mountain. And when we walked up in there, we was 100 yards from mm-hmm. them. could see them all bedded up. Well, it took us about two hours to get over there. I had to stop every 50 yards to catch my breath. <laughs> but, no, you did good this but, year, man. But think this is the way you think about it, too. And, and I'm trying to, while we're going through this, I'm trying to think not – when I say common mistakes, I'm thinking about common mistakes that I would make on my own because I'm pretty good at making mistakes. There was a lot easier route to get where we were going. Oh, absolutely. A way easier route. But the reason we skirted around the whole other side of the mountain is, one, would be the, the wind. Mm-hmm. Kept the wind in our favor the entire time. We did not spook a single elk. No. And that... It's so, and again, walked right up in the middle of exactly, it. Yep. exactly, and you can do that yep. when you when you when you treat the wind right. And re- but that's the it's so. I'm so easy. thankful turkeys can't smell. Because you'd never kill, kill one. No, never. But uh, it's so easy, and I, I think about the guys that you know maybe are hunting public land or they only have a certain window to, to hunt in, and you get in a situation like that, you know where the elk are, and you're thinking maybe I can just run in there and make this happen, or maybe I can sneak mm-hmm. in there. You cannot. No. Is one thing we learned about hunting uh, at that place in New Mexico is over the years in, the, in our beginning stages of hunting there, we, we tried all that. We tried, you know, bulldogging in the herd mm-hmm. and doing all the right mm-hmm. things. And now we realize, you know what? Ain't no sense in getting in them early. Let them do their thing. Let them go where they're going to go. You can't hunt them where they are. you got to hunt them where they're going. Because mm-hmm. these elk stay on the prairie all Exactly. Right. And, and, if, and if you pressure them too much, they'll go out in that prairie, and you can't do nothing with Mm-mm. them. And you're spotting and stalking by yourself through a bunch of rattlesnake-infested yeah, grass, and luck. that ain't going to work. But that's the key in, in what we do there is just watching the elk, learning from the elk, let them do their thing. Yeah. And they'll dictate what they need you yeah. to do if you can try to get in there and hunt them. That's one of the things. I've you, you Letting the animal dictate your moves mm-hmm. it makes you so much more successful yeah. and if you got to back out back out yeah it's not worth it, it. like no. i said because that, that there wasn't a, a large number of elk like there usually is in that area and had we just tried to bulldog in there and get them there's a very good chance we blew them out and we weren't going to kill a single and elk the thing the about blowing elk out it's not like white-tailed deer or turkeys you know a white-tailed deer may run a couple of hundred yards and stop and then he's going to come back home that afternoon but you blow an elk out gone especially a big herd cow, go. you blow her out, it's miles and miles and miles. They'll get to go, and they'll put the wind in their nose, and they're gone. Yeah. And you won't see them again. And that's that's probably one of the – and it, it, it applies not to just elk hunting, but that's uh, through working here and being around, you know, you, Brad, with all the, that's probably one of the most valuable lessons I've learned mm-hmm. is to not – because it, it used to be in my younger days, um, and I still want to do it from time to time, you, you – you want to just you know get in there, get it done. Get you want to be aggressive, yeah. but it's it, you are so much more effective yeah. if you just take your time, ease, res- respect, have show all the respect to the game you're pursuing and their abilities. And an elk can smell like a whitetail. Can. Oh yeah, and they, better, they, I think. they will live and die by that nose. Well, you know, I'd rather I'd rather spend a little bit of time in a really good place than a long time in a really bad place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if if you go in there and bump those bulls and those that whole herd out of there, you're going to be spending a long time trying to figure out where they went. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's not worth it. it. To me, you just take your time, let the elk tell you what to do. Absolutely. Be patient, slip in there, and it, guess what? If you kill him on the last day, you still killed him. Yeah. It don't matter when yeah. you kill him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, so anyhow, we we cut around the mountain, take the long way around the mountain, get around, and uh, we could hear him bugling. Uh, yeah, by this time long. it's what eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, yeah, middle of the day. Sun, you know, sun. 11, 45, yeah. 12, and uh, we'd picked out a spot. There was a, a kind of a natural lane between a bunch of lava rocks, and, and you know, I said, you know, you and Jordan kind of ease up there. I'll get back here. We was gonna drop down. 
So we start easing up, and typically our you know maneuver we do with the filming deals, Jordan will get ahead of me because him being the cameraman, I let him pick the spot. You know what, what's going to work mm-hmm. for him, what's not, and he said he's he's like he's up there, and all of a sudden I see Jordan, he throws the brakes on, yeah, you I know, and he that. starts he puts his hand back and he looks back and he goes they're bedded they're bedded up right there, and I'm like oh yeah. good gosh, so I get on my knees, I crawl up there. Turn around and give you the thumb, thumbs up. Will goes to calling and they st- immediately start bugling, but they were all all of them bedded down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this this spot ended up being the perfect spot we could be in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We had a, a blow down tree, what ten yards from mm-hmm. us. That's huge. You know, all you can see is the top of his antlers up there on the hillside right. bedded up. That and and being that time of day, you know, sun's real high in the sky, real bright out, and we were. Dead in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, was in the shadows. You was in the, in the lava rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and y'all. I mean, there was times where I was sitting. I was what seventy yards from yeah. y'all, mm-hmm. and I would zoom in over there, and I couldn't even find you half the time. Yeah. Well, then that's. I mean, well, that's. The thing about that's just like calling a turkey to a wide open spot. If he can get where he can see something and don't see a cow, he's not gonna come. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 you know, it, that's something with with elk hunting too is you know you might which in my position it doesn't apply because where i was sitting was a perfect spot for for a shoot but i mean it's some people a lot of times want to neglect those shadows when a shadow can be your best friend especially in that situation but and the key for you too is that that rocky ridge that was behind y'all those elk were not going to come on over that ridge yeah it 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 wasn't just rocky it was boulders right so they couldn't come behind you they had to come in natural funnel it's saddle there i mean it just makes them come down through there and with those trees right in front of us he had to come past the trees to see where that cow was making that noise it made it i mean it could not have laid out any more perfect which is what i needed (laughs) but uh you got a little down right there at the first part of I know it, it man I was I, like I said it, it was it was a you know a combination of I mean obviously I really wanted to kill a bull with my bow I'd, but the two it was just I, I mean we're, we're trying to make trying to make TV I have three people hunting behind me and I just you know it was I didn't want to be eating up everyone's time it was just a lot of different emotions going on but uh, yeah but that first bull that came in now that you look back on it, I'm glad you didn't shoot him me either <laughs> I was looking at this bull. I could see his horns up there. He was bedded down with like four or five cows. And Will started calling. He started bugling. And I think you may have hollered. So he stood, stood up. Yeah. Well, I peeked up over the camera, and he started walking to us real slow, bugling. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he was coming right at us, straight mm-hmm. on. And he came to, what, 15 yards? 10 yards. And 15 got, from you. You were backed up for Talking about shadows, that bull got up in the shadows of that tree so he could see everything mm-hmm. without being blinded by the sun. And that's cool because that's a testament to how, how well that can work for you because when he was walking dead at us, he couldn't see us. And, I, you know, I couldn't draw because he was looking dead at me. But as soon as he stepped up far enough, those shadows got his eyes, he went. He was like... He, he, he didn't completely figure us out, but he he stood there for a second. He, what's that? You know, it just kind of the coolest he, thing about him is watching him back up. Yeah, and now, I haven't seen an elk do that in a long time. But that sucker put it in reverse, and mm-hmm. and he was one leg at a time, just back. Yeah. He never took his eyes off of where y'all were. Yeah. He didn't know what you were. At, at but he one just point, up. and it was when I drew, I think a cow or something. Or something got up on a twig crack and he snapped his that head was back. That little bull behind yeah, he him. He snapped his head back real quick and I drew my bow because mm-hmm. I was going to shoot him. I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, like I said, I was definitely, but he never, when he got there, he was quartering to me. And then when he spun around, it just was, I, I didn't want to try to force a shot. Right. There was no point. 
So we walked back, and I kind of looked back at Jordan. And I probably had, I probably looked like a sad puppy when he turned around and walked back. You looked like a puppy that just peed on the floor and got whooped. Which, <laughs> you know what was going through my mind when all this happened? When I saw that bull leave and go back, I thought to myself, when he goes back, the big bull is going to think there's mm-hmm. somebody else down there, and I need to go check. That's on exactly him. what and happened. That, that big bull, when that when that little bull started running back, and he saw that that big bull, I watched him stand up. He that's stood what killed up him. And he just, that's what killed him. Because mm-hmm. I looked back at Jordan, Jordan, and he goes, "It's fine. Let your bow down." He said, "Another one's coming," and I t- which was the herd bull. The herd bull, which I'm I'm so glad. And it's this is usually my what I do a deer, what deer, elk, whatever. As soon as I saw it, I could see over that fallen down tree. I could see the top of some antlers kind of heading this way. And I went, see a shooter, Jordan went, oh, yeah. And I didn't look at him no more. Yeah. Not his antlers. I didn't study those antlers. <laughs> I just, I was like, George says he's a shooter. So as soon as I could see him, I just kind of, I just zoned in on those. I was watching his eyes to see where he was looking, and I was zoned in on those lungs. That's all I was thinking. I always look for, you know, you notice about elk, there's always a little tuft of hair somewhere right there in their side from where they're scratching or whatever <laughs> that you can pick out and go, I'm going to shoot that I'm going right to shoot there. right there, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and here's the other thing, too, um, and I learned this, and this I guess you call it an advantage I had is just so many years of, of filming other people do it. I knew the kind of routine I needed to go to a when to draw back, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't want to be with a with an elk that close. And, you know, even if you had a shadows, you still want all the advantages on your side. There was that from the falling over tree, the stump was still there, mm-hmm. the big falling over stump. And I saw him coming at first when he was, he stayed back there for a while because he, he didn't come just blazing in. He was kind of mm-hmm. just walking slow. And I couldn't tell if he was gonna come, if he was gonna hug our side of the lane, or if he was gonna head further. So I had my range finder out because I was trying to get some ranges, and then I saw which way he was coming. I was like, oh, I don't need this. Well, his rack was so big, he had to walk out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I slid my range finder back into my pocket, and I just got ready. And as soon as his head went behind that big falling over mm-hmm. that stump that was still sticking up, I drew back, and he never, never you, checked you, up. You know what the key was to that was if you watch that footage and watch you draw that bow back you draw that bow back in one smooth motion mm-hmm. and and that's an testament to practicing all summer because it got your muscle memory where it needed to be and you could actually take that bow and just pull it straight back mm-hmm. without making that you know you got some of these folks that'll right. do the air draw and they put right. too much poundage and by practicing and staying in shape all summer and shooting your bow being able to draw, I mean, sometimes you can draw them when they're looking right at you. If you right. just do it in one smooth motion, right. they just look at you and go, what was that? And then you and, get the and, shot And off. honestly, probably... And that, like goes, that goes to Wilbur and Brad. Both of them shoot, what, 60 pounds, mm-hmm. 62 pounds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something they, like that. Both of them could pull more than that back, but the, the way they pull it back is a smooth motion. Yeah, there's no there's no yeah. effort. It's just... Yep. Yeah. And uh, like, it's, like you were saying, honestly, with our setup, with the, the high sun and the shadows... I, you know, if I if my nerves had gotten the better of me, I probably could have drawn back mm-hmm. on him. But it's kind of one of those things. He said, "You want everything on your side sure. that you possibly can." Yeah. And so I saw that tree stump, and I said, "When he walks by that tree stump, I'm going to draw." And I did. Which I just, which would have which would have put him right even with you, or even just a little bit past you. And sometimes if you let him get a little bit past you and then draw, they'll actually hear it or see it, and they'll stop and look. Stop. Yeah. And you know, they're expecting to see an elk. Mm-hmm. And they're expecting something to be there that's an elk because they're hearing an elk. And when a lot of times, I'm going to say, not other than that one that Brad had an right. encounter with, right. that one just can't. And Brad was already at full draw. He just stopped him. Yeah. But a lot of times when you draw back, you don't even have to stop because they'll see you or catch something and they just stop and look right at you. Yeah. You just give it to them. Well, and the other thing, too, and this is just, you know, I, the Lord smiling down on me. I'd, I'd drawn back and he was walking and I'd already, I picked a spot out. I, I, I drew back. And I went ahead, I got my anchor, I you know, just went through my whole routine and I was waiting on him. I'd picked a spot I was gonna stop him at. You yeah. know, I was gonna 
Well, like I said, it's just as fortune would have it, he stopped on his own, like right there. You can actually see it in the footage. I, I had to I had to move back because I was out ahead of him. He yeah. stopped and, and I was like, but what oh. it was, he stopped where he was at. If you think about where he was, he stopped and he could see all the way. He stopped down at to his the vantage bottom, point, yeah. and he was expecting to see elk down there. So he just stopped to bugle and said, "I'm not coming down there and fight something if I don't know what it is." Right, and that's why he stopped because yeah. he could see. Yeah. And Wilbur was behind those big rocks, so, so he, he couldn't yeah. see. So he and he stopped, and I just kind of eased my bow back, and I, I started to, I, I guess it was just excitement. As soon as my, he was between 25 and 30. He, mm-hmm. he walked right by a little thistle or something that I had ranged, and I was like, I know where you are. So I just put my 20 right on the center of his lungs, and as soon as it got there, I wanted to punch it real quick. You can actually see it, but I waited. I burned it there for a little second, and I just pulled through. Isn't it amazing when they're inside 30 yards that you put your 20 on there and you 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 all on <laughs> Right, because I was like, all three of these would kill him yeah. right now. But uh, I remember releasing that shot and I saw the Fletchings bury where they were supposed to. And then I think I blacked out for about a minute. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that sound that solidifies you got him. Right. Yeah. right. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't go 60 yards. No. And uh, that's an testament to those rages. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you pushing a, a broadhead that causes that much uh, trauma through the cavity in that, of an animal that opens up upon impact. You know, there's been some controversy that they don't open or they don't do this, but I no, I can't tell you how many elk I've shot with him, how many deer I've shot with him, and now we're getting some people that's ta- asking us about those sparks that they see. And it's funny because Sean Burks called us the other day when we was on the way back from New Mexico, and he shot one. Randy was with him, and Randy asked him, he says, man, you shooting lighted knocks? He said, no, why? He said, man, that thing had a glow on it, and it was a broadhead opening <laughs> mm-hmm. when it hit hit the elk. We've seen that several oh, times gosh. now. And, yeah. and people say, well, that's that's exploding broadheads. Are your broadheads not working? No, that's the broadhead opening, opening. upon impact so fast and so hard. That's that the carbon that's sparking off the broadhead mm-hmm. that's causing that in, in the metal. So I, I have a hard time with with people not thinking that rages work. If it wouldn't be for those big broadheads, you know, there's there's nothing, there's no better feeling to get in a tree or go in the mountains or do whatever you do in bow hunting, having 100% confidence in all of your equipment. Oh, absolutely. Because if you have to second guess anything, gosh, it starts making you just feel like, I can't take this shot, I can't take that shot. And I've taken quarter and away, I've taken perfectly broadside, we won't take a quarter and two no. shot. Um, I've taken shots where they close, I've shot shots far, you know, 50, 54 yards right. on an elk, and knowing that that broadhead, if I can get it in the right spot on those elk, I, I could say probably 95% of the elk that I've watched fall dead via gun or bow, they die faster with that bow mm-hmm. and that rage broadhead than they do with yeah. a rifle. Well, and the thing is, too, it, like you said, there's there's confidence in your equipment is it's invaluable. Mm-hmm. I took a rage broadhead just because I wanted to check it. You know, I mean, I was... I was, you know, obviously I had a lot of thoughts going leading up to this hunt, you know, just trying, I wanted to make sure everything was perfect. My, my arrows, my bow, my broadheads. I took a raised broadhead. I took two of them and I was shooting them at a target and I shot it at 60 yards mm-hmm. and I, I had no plan, especially being my first one. I mean, you can make a shot on an elk at 60 yards, but being my first one, I just didn't want to push it that far, right. but I was just seeing, you know, at 60 yards, I mean, the broadhead was perfect. Yeah. No, no. Sixty-yard shot. All the conditions have got to yeah, be. Perfect. There was, but just shooting it at the range, there was zero difference between yeah. my field tips, and my broadheads, and then I mean, I shot it. At, but there's, and that was such a confidence builder to know 
when you're out there, when you know, when this, in the heat of moments was happening, you have no worries, and you know it's going to perform. And, it and especially with the new collars that they got on them. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they, as much they, as we walk around, and sometimes you could be set up, and you might have to move ten feet or ten yards or whatever in a hurry. You don't have to worry about that blade coming open right. like it, like they did in right. the past. That sometimes when you right. get stuff. And that, that arrow blew through them, which it was. Oh, 20, I mean, that, that like has and that, that's thanks to the 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 broadhead and the. I mean, I was through those three hundred spine. Pierce arrows and those things are those go tip arrows or something. Those are nasty. <laughs> Man, when you hit him, I was like, "Oh, we done." I was and that was such a good feeling because I knew. I mean, it was. I told. I turned around to Jordan after we shot everything. The cameras were cut off. I was like, I feel like I just had a two hundred pound backpack taken off my shoulders. <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, I was thankful where he fell because knowing that place like we all know it, me and Brad and, and Wilbur, mostly me and Brad who have hunted it so long, where he fell at, my first thought was, I can get to Polaris Ranger to him. <laughs> And then that was about an hour and a half process getting up there and then coming down was, was pretty yeah. incredible. But, you know, to me, hanging out at the skinny shed is probably the best part of the hunt. Oh, yeah. All that stuff was cool, but coming back and being able to relive the story and, and hear the excitement in your voice of killing your first bull and knowing that, okay, now we're on track, we're going to get back after it again. And Wilbur, he was chomping at the bit to start hunting that oh, afternoon, yeah. but we were like, no, let's just wait. And luckily we did because his hunt, holy smoke, it was a... It was a bull that we had seen. Jordan, you had seen him before we got yeah. there, and then we saw him again. Years prior. But we, that, we could have went hunting that afternoon, but he had to put his broad head. Oh, my gosh. I've never seen so much <laughs> misdiscombobulation, if that's even a word. Well, but where's your bow? Well, my bow's here. My broadheads are here. My, my sight, quiver's here. I got my sight in a different bag. My sight's in another bag. I got to put everything together, and we're like, no, we're not going to. Jordan gonna. looked at me. He said, he must have had much confidence in you in killing a bull. I was like, thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. He said, Lake's probably not going to kill one for another four days. I don't have to put my stuff together yet. Well, you know, Wilbur's a man of, of much patience, so he was he was good about it. Y'all y'all had been, like I said, y'all been there two days prior to before we got there, so y'all had seen a lot of these elk, and, and there's no doubt in my mind y'all saw this one. But this, this bull is a five-by-five five that we've got – some history with absolutely um, we got history with him with jimmy jimmy's got good history with him. jimmy jimmy spooked, <laughs> jimmy him, spooked him the first day of gun season jimmy walked up over the ridge and he was bugling and jimmy did we wasn't ready jimmy did wasn't ready he was tinkering with his gun or something and the bull come walking up there and just saw him and when we all saw that bull we were like holy smokes what a five by five wow. i haven't seen a five by five that big in a long time i love big five by's Five big five bys. They're like you know, it's like a high score and eight point. Oh man! It just take. Uh, well, you know, for him to get, get that big, he's old. Oh gosh, yeah. And he's just it's just so. And not only that, that bull, I I love bulls, bucks, whatever. I, I love them when they have attitudes about yeah. them. And that that five by, he was the man. He was. And he let every elk on that ranch know he was the man. He was. He's all scarred up from fighting. Had his left eye gouged yeah, out. He had all the cows. He was just. I'm the man. You well, know, that that just, afternoon we came in and got on him, and, and he he was bedded up in the open. Mm -hmm. If y'all remember when we found him, he was right. out there in the open, just the middle of a meadow, just bedded up laying there with a bunch of cows around him. But to make uh, to make matters worse, there was about 40 antelope all around him. Right. And we're like, how in the world are we going to get in here with all those eyes? Tough. But we took our time and slipped and went through some thickets and through a little canyon and got up there and started calling to him and he he wouldn't move. You was mm -hmm. you and you and George were back, back there, there calling. calling, and he just wouldn't get up out of yeah. that bed and calling and calling. And finally, y'all got some of the cows to start coming right. to us. There was one cow that came running just like on that other hunt with you, and she got to about 80 yards and just locked up. Right. And she turned around and went back. And by that time, he stood up. I don't mm -hmm. know if y'all could see. Yeah. Well, were. we told we could tell. He was bugling, and we, some of the cows were answering us. And and I looked at Jordan. I said, 
we need to try cranking the volume up on him, you know, just get mm-hmm. a little, you know, because he's not moving. You could yeah. tell, but then, and we could tell he'd moved a little bit, but it still didn't, you know, I mean, I could tell if he was bugling and he would have been on top of y'all. Yeah. I knew he still wasn't. And there was another smaller bull that came in there, and that's really what made him get up. Right. And he ran him off, and then once once he did that, all the cows started moving back down to the west, and that just cha- that changed the whole game plan. Yeah. Well, you go, you take take over from there because well, that, that was all. You guys could see it, but we got your attention to come mm-hmm. back up there because we were going to make a move. Right. Um, I kind of had a feeling where they were going. There's a there's a water tank down there for the cattle, and they were headed in that direction. I wasn't 100% sure, but I told Wilbur, I said, if, if they go anywhere, they're going to go to that water hole. If they don't go to the water hole, they got to pass by it, and we'll at least see where they're going and get an idea what we're doing. And we took off running through th- some of the thickest stuff. I don't know how you guys stayed behind oh, us. I don't gosh. know how I stayed behind Wilbur. I had microphones and stuff dragging behind me, and it was an absolute mess. But we let the cameras rolling for the whole oh, thing, yeah. which is pretty funny. Well, there's nothing, you know, I mean, there's nothing getting you through that kind of stuff but adrenaline and knowing yeah. that you're trying to cut off a bull like yeah. that. I mean, it's just, you know, doing what you got to do. Luck be had it, though. We had the wind perfect, mm-hmm. got in front of him, got to the water hole, and you made one call behind us, just, and that sucker bugled, and he was right there. When he bugled, I, I was sitting there, I was waiting, because we were just over the levee of the pond. And I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm talk I'm asking Jordan, which we're kind of in one of those situations where I don't know, and he doesn't know either. Yeah. I'm like, and we couldn't communicate. Ready? Yeah, we couldn't. I was like, do you think they're ready? Because I don't want to call, and y'all not be ready. But I I, I kind of peeked around a little cedar bush, and I could see I could see you had the camera up, and I could see Wilbur had an arrow knocked. I was like, I guess they're ready. And I just mew, and he bugled, and I was like, I don't need to call anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he was coming again, and just to match that bull's bugle. It was very fitting to the kind of bull that he was. He was he bugled. He had one of those, yeah. you know, just real sounded like a dragon. Sounded like he'd been smoking a pack of cigarettes <laughs> out of his bed to come right. come chase us. But he did perfect. I mean, you you made that one call. It let us know he was there. He come walking through, and the, the spot Wilbur was going to shoot him, um, he was quartering to him. So we just let him come down to the water. And right when he got to the edge of that water, I don't know what he heard, what he saw. Wilbur was already at full draw. I just think. One of us kicked a rock or something, or mm-hmm. it's just that seven cents. Either that or the way the sun was coming down, too. It could have caught something moving to camera. Yeah, right. could have been shining on the lens Because it was his right eye. If it would have been his left side, I would have said there's no way he yeah, saw it. Yeah, because he was missing blind. his left eye. <laughs> I was back here waving at him. Was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was trying to make hey, it interesting. Stop right Jordan there. said, hey, I'm going to stop him. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, he stopped perfect, and yeah. Wilbur dr- drilled him at 22 yards. And, and instead of turning and running back the way he came from, that, that cow tank right there uh-huh. is probably – it's probably 80 yards across by 60 yards wide. Mm-hmm. It's a good size hole for out there. And and it's probably six and a half foot deep. Mm-hmm. And he commenced to going across the very middle of it. And I, I nicknamed that bull Moses because he looked like he was trying to park the seat. <laughs> and he went all the way to the other side, and I lost him. And luckily, you were rolling on your on your camera, and he just comes out the other side. And all the energy that he had had left, um, he expelled every bit of that when he tried right. to cross that water. And he stood up on the other side and just fell over dead perfect right there. And I'm like, holy smokes. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. You know, because I've been able to call in a few elk through doing this. But usually, you know, it's the we're usually backed up, yeah. you know. And that's just the way that it happened. Yeah, you know, we, see it all. Me and Jordan look like two little kids peeking over the fence over that pond <laughs> levee. And we just all watching it happen. We're like, oh, there he is. My and then biggest, when he shot yeah. him, just whoosh. My biggest concern was if he gets in that water, how are you going to shoot him? Because the water's deep. Yeah. And, you know, that time of the year when they're that they're running that hard and that rut's that strong, I don't know what their body temperature is. I've had some biologists tell me that it'll go up to 106, 107 degrees. I can believe it. Probably even more than that. But most of the times when they come to those water holes, they go in their neck deep. Cool down. Yeah. And so what do you do? You what just do you wait do? for them to come out you the other watch, side. Yeah, and hope do. they act right and come back out the right way. 
And, but that uh, was su- that was such a cool hunt. That was another one we was able to get the buggy to. Yeah. And then old Will Walker rolls up in camp. Mr. Lucky. Mr. As Lucky, uh, nice whatever man. you want to call him. And, and that uh, that first morning was windy. That was tough. It must have been blowing 40 miles an hour. And, and again, knowing the ranch like we all know it, we y'all heard him bugling. I can't hear that high squeal anymore. My hearing's gone. None of us could hear that good in that wind. I mean, it was gusting up to 50. And I, I honestly, I thought they were further than they really were. Mm-hmm. When we started calling before you know it, they were right there. Mm-hmm. And the problem we had in that situation is Wilbur was sitting right there with you and Walker. He just got Jordan caught. Jordan and I yeah. had backed up, and he got caught, so he couldn't call no more, and I wasn't in a good position to call. And I didn't have a bugle. Yeah, so we couldn't really do a whole bunch, and all of a sudden this other bull starts coming in from another direction. Well, I, at that time, you got to make a move because the wind's wrong. Yeah, you have to. I wound up right in the middle of both those elk, decided to get in a fight. Yeah. And I, I thought they were going to fight right over the top of me. It scared me half to death. <laughs> Not, once they started fighting, I saw that as a window of opportunity to back out and try to get downwind to y'all to help call him to you. Right. But they didn't fight very yeah. long. And it, Which that, I've seen me. that happen before, too. A combination of that and when you have two bulls and they kind of start competing with each other. And, you know, it just, it, you know mm-hmm. not all of them work out perfect, mm-hmm. you know. No, but that was, a, that was a fun encounter. And then we decided to make the long trek around the mountain. And, and we went down there and... You guys found another one. Me and Jordan went back to the truck. I said, yeah. we're going to go get the truck. Because it had gotten pretty late in the afternoon. It got late in the evening. We figured it was over. Yeah, we didn't think it was going to happen that day. And the funny thing about that was Jordan and I are sitting at the truck waiting for y'all to either text us or call us and let us know it's okay to come to the other side of this this big meadow. And we, Jordan says, you hear that? I'm like, no. And all of a sudden, they hear elk bugle, and you hear Wilbur bugle, and you hear an elk bugle. And listening to the whole conversation between Wilbur and the elk, <laughs> my mind's envisioning what's going on because I've hunted with Wilbur enough and I'm like and it was just it was crazy it was like yeah, yeah, woo, yeah. and all of a sudden zip nothing right and there was nothing and about 10 minutes later you get a text that y'all got him well the thing that happened with that was is it's kind of one of those deals that was a true close encounter oh my gosh <laughs> that's I, I thought last year we had me and me and you Jordan filmed that hunt with Wilbur mm-hmm. and Brad when that one walked right at us and we had to wait for him to kind of book yeah I thought that's as close as you could get to one. Well, we get on this bull. It's kind of one of those things, you know. It was like a last ditch effort kind of thing, you know. Y'all again, y'all going to go get the truck, and we're just walking. We we'd stopped in some spots, you know. We were just headed south. There's a lake down there. We mm-hmm. caught Sand Lake. We were just kind of heading that way, see if we'd run into any elk on the way. And uh, we'd we'd made some calls, threw some bugles out there, hadn't heard anything. And me and uh, Wilbur was backed up behind us, kind of just you know spread out. And we're walking. All of a sudden, one just bugles, and Walker just looks at me and kind of one of those things. Do you hear that too? Yeah. So we just bail off after him. And uh, Wilbur starts calling. Bull starts coming. Next thing I know, he was kind of right on the edge of the timber, going out into the prairie. Mm-hmm. And he was right. He was right on the outskirts of it, just right on the edge. And he starts calling. Call that timberline, even though it's not really timberline. Timber <laughs> But um, he starts coming, and he gets to a tree, and that had been, the tree had been previously rubbed, and he starts rubbing on that tree, and he rubs the tree for 10 minutes. And Wilbur back there calling, and he'd get more aggressive, and he'd still he'd look up, then go back to rubbing the tree. And then finally he says, okay, I'm coming. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to happen. So I'm rolling. You know, I'm rolling on all this. I'm, back, I'm right over Walker's shoulder. And um, next thing I know, and again, it's, they're, they're wild animals. They can do what they want. They don't always take the trail you think they're going to take. Mm-hmm. We were thinking he was going to go keep walking towards Wilbur, go the other side of this real big tree, and then when he come out, he'd be top pin broadside. Well, he does not come that way. He decides he wants to take a more direct route to Wilbur. 
and he walked dead at us, quartering to us the whole time so Walker couldn't mm-hmm. shoot him. And when he stopped, you could see in the footage, when he stopped, and you, sometimes y- y'all understand, when, you, when you're videoing sometimes. You know you're y- close when the shadow of the elk covers you. Right. Covers well, the sun. Well, the, I think when he bugled, I think his I think his bugle breath fogged up my camera lens. Mm-hmm. That's how close he was. But and you kind of but when you're looking through that viewfinder on the camera, you kind of lose your depth perception a little bit. So every now and then I'll just kind of toss my eyes up, and I looked up, and I realized if I were to reach my arm out, I could poke that elk in the chest. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh! But Walker had no shot. He was still quartering right. two, and he came walking past us. And then when he got past us, he got our wind and boogered, and then that's when we got moved down a little bit further. We'd heard another one bugling, and that's when we got on the one that he shot. And, it and was that just, one was close too. That one wasn't far. six yards. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. It's just. The way it happened again is just the Lord's smile. I asked Walker down what penny put on him. He said, "Oh, I had all of them. All of them." <laughs> that That's was one of the deals. I mean, we hunted all day, not thinking where did the elk go because they were all in there thick the day before, mm-hmm. and we didn't put any pressure on them really. We stayed on the outskirts of the herd. Yeah. And it took us all day. We finally had went down there three or four miles away and found the same herd of elk. Yeah. You know, that's how much they travel overnight. And we didn't put no pressure on them. I mean, even though you did kill an elk up on that mountain, they they really had no idea no, we were there because we when we left, they were still bugling. Exactly. I just think that south wind, as hard as it was blowing, as strong as it was blowing, there was another herd of elk down at bottom, and those elk smelled those elk and just went to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, same thing with whitetails. Look how many times on Cottonmouth we've had deer that we've seen on the north end of the ranch, or north end of the farm, and then a day later you catch them on the very south end of the farm exactly. with yeah. a huge wind blowing. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, but that was... That was a fun afternoon. Yeah, it's always fun when you get them that close. So, especially when you get them that close and you get the buggy right to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's get to my my favorite hunt on the whole trip. I don't know. Two days. Two days left. T. Roy Ruiz coming in there, batting up cleanup. Never. Never. Raining. Ne- raining. Had to deal with the day of rain. Never. Never scared to be the last one in the lineup. What happened? That was a. That was, was a fun hunt. I don't know. <laughs> that was a fun hunt. I know y- y'all tell it because I, I can't remember it very good. You uh, you guys were back there filming it all, so y'all know it play by play. Well, I know yours and Walker's hunt were kind of – they were different, but the, the one similarity that we had is we walked – we messed around and happened to walk into a herd of them, and it was mm-hmm. the same deal. We thought we, – we tried – We'd gotten on a, a herd bull and his cows earlier in the afternoon, and it just didn't work out. I mean, he would... Yeah, we wound up calling it a satellite. Yeah, same kind of deal. He just uh, had all his cows, and he would stand there and bugle, but it, I think I, I think the only way you could call that bull in is if another bull came out and bugled and, mm-hmm. sure enough, challenged him would be the only way he was leaving those cows. And that bull's still there, so hopefully Jimmy will get him next week. Yeah, he's still there doing his thing. But um, So we left them, and we'd heard another bull bugling head that way, and... I tried it that you know for you always our our usual method is we we never go straight for the more aggressive setup you know we tried on the, the edge first thinking you know maybe we can call them right over this rise they'll come right mm-hmm. down the edge but it just wasn't working out it sounded all the like all the elk were headed you know to headed down out to the prairies mm-hmm. and, uh we were about to give up on that spot weren't we, we were about to go try we were else. We, we were going to just leave them because yeah. they had all gotten wadded up yeah. together and we, we, we know what that t- we know what that entails too yeah, when you got them all wadded with up that before the but, key to making us move, we heard elk up on the mountainside. Yeah, still we heard, down. we heard, I remember, we heard one bugle, because we were really about to leave one bugle, we said, we may can do something with him. So we took And it was out. getting late. Yeah, oh yeah. And the wind was blowing, holy oh, smokes gosh. it was blowing. That's because we, you could have, there's a couple bulls that you, because, you know, we got into a herd of, I mean, how many elk was it? 
Over a hundred. Oh, that was a, the whole herd. I yeah. mean, it was. The only way we got into all them elk was because the wind was blowing yeah, so hard. Yeah, exactly. Like it we covered were, our sound and our scent. The way this setup looked like, it was just a hillside that's not steep at all, and it's just cedar trees scattered all yeah. over. Yeah. But it had just enough rise and just enough cedar trees that we could maneuver. Yeah. And like on a calm afternoon, you can forget it. Yeah, and Wilbur stayed over the rise. Right. He stayed behind us far you enough can. over the rise to try to at least gain enough attention from them to come and look over that rise. Mm-hmm. And we're right on the little, we're sitting on the crest of a hill, drops off to the left and drops off to the right. The left side of it has all the herd of elk in it, and the right side's a perfect spot to call the bulls that are calling, that are bugling on the mountainside. Mm-hmm. So we're right in the, middle, in the middle of them, pretty much. Yeah. So we finally, you know, like I said, we, we got up to it, and we when we got to where we could peek over the rise, we were like, oh, that's what we're dealing with. Because we didn't know it was that many elk. Yeah. But uh, and we, how many bulls did we call off? Because Wilbur got Wilbur turned up the aggressiveness on the call. He did enough so because when we first got there and he was just calling, you know, I guess you know not as aggressive. The bulls would look over our direction, they'd bugle, but they, I mean they were with so many other elk. Why would they leave? But as soon mm-hmm. as he started getting more aggressive, you started pulling some bulls off. Mm-hmm. And we had some that would swing wide, and you know there's. But we had some that usually you would have a shot at, but that wind was blowing so hard it just yeah. you t- you turn around and looked at me, you're like I can't make a shot like no, that not I, in this wind. Out of respect to the animal, it, yeah, you know that one bull that came up there that was the bigger of of the bulls, and I think I don't know if he was the herd bull. I Easy. think there was another bull in there that was 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 rack wise was smaller than him was was an older bull. And when this bull came up there, he came up there to 51 yards, and I'm like, man, I just can't shoot yeah. in this crosswind. Yeah, I'd, I'd had to aim at his butt to hit him in the shoulder. And when he walked off, turned and walked off, he tried to make a loop to come up the other side, and I'm like, man, I just can't, I can't yeah. do it. Which, you know, and that was absolutely the right call. Well, and the good thing is if you don't spook them, they ain't going nowhere. No. And then those bulls never knew we was even in the world. There, there's no sense, archery, gun, whatever, if you ever – Put your crosshairs, put your pins on an elk, and you don't feel good about it. There's no sense in shooting. Yeah, don't take the shot. There's no I sense agree. in it. But if so, you don't spook them, they ain't going nowhere. That's no, home. But that's that one bull sure. that was up on the mountain, he had a distinct bugle. He's one of those ones where you you can pick him out. Oh yeah, no doubt. Sounded like a pterodactyl. It did. It's just a, <laughs> with the mixture. He also sounded like he had a sinus infection because he gurgled a little bit. <laughs> he did. <laughs> But it, like you said, there was no, there was no mistaking him for any other. But think bull. about how long he came to the edge of those trees where all those junipers are, and just stood right there. Because what that is, I don't know if y'all went over there and, and saw it, but I've been there before. That's a drain. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of it just kind of going off in the drain, right where he came up, it just it dropped Stop, straight yeah, off. Steep. So he, in my mind, I think he was standing there right where he could see over the top of that, and he could see under those trees, and he didn't see no elk out there, so right. he's just standing there. He's just taking his sweet time. But when he finally showed up, and you saw him first. And you told me there he is, and when he stepped out, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that big sucker. Because we've never seen that elk before. I could hear, you know, me and Jordan, you know, we run two cameras uh, on those hunts. And, you know, whoever's filming and whoever's running the cameras, they always communicate with one another. In that case, it was me and Jordan. And I could hear y'all back there whispering back and forth, and I couldn't hear y'all because of the wind. Jordan, when that elk came out, Jordan goes, Hank, who, Hickey, what? There he is. (laughs) 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 It was, and I was was like, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) Oh, it was fun. He walked out, and the the trek that he was going to take, if he kept coming, going towards Will like he was going to go, I ranged a tree and it was it was 51 yards. And I was like, man, I can't shoot 51 yards in this wind. I just, mm-hmm. I just, I'm not going to do it. Right. And I kept looking at his horns and looking at him. And he walked a little bit and bugled and stopped. And he was looking at 
towards the elk and and I, I just immediately I said Lord I said I, I've read your story and I know you can calm the winds I said but if you can calm the winds on this one I promise you I'll make that shot mm-hmm. and I drew my bow back anticipating not shooting and when I drew my bow back and he stopped and I stopped him first tried to stop him the first time it didn't stop and when I mewed the second time and he stopped the wind went to nothing yeah. and you can hear it you, it's you can just, see it's it. like you can hear you can stopped. see it in the camp you can hear the the audio on the shotgun mic all of a sudden just it, yeah it and you can calm. see all the trees just stop moving and it i was, shot and, and i ain't no doubt lord put that arrow right where it needed to go yeah. and when he started running the wind picked right back up again so mm-hmm. there's no doubt in my mind a guy was watching over us on that one and he wanted us to get done and, and make a good shot but at, at that point i still didn't know how big that elk was no. you know usually like deer and elk and and while big game that you shoot you a lot of times you walk up to them and a little bit smaller than you anticipated yeah. but when i walked up to this one i i lost it man i had no idea he was that big. i told i told jordan i said i said when he came in bugling i said he looked like the rmef logo that's i mean he, he was perfect he did not have he is, he's very broke, symmetrical he did not have a broke tine he was perfectly i mean he was just you think about and you could tell that he stayed bull. out of the herd mm-hmm. because he wasn't broken up at this time of the year on that ranch you get a lot of bulls especially when you go back to gun hunt like jimmy and them do it's hard to find a bull that's not busted because the competition so intense and i think this bull i don't think he was a very old bull um I, I'm saying he was six or seven years yeah. old. He was old, but he wasn't ancient. Yeah, you know, he was beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. Now, the way we judge elk usually is like, oh, he's nice, or he's big. Yeah. <laughs> and he, this one was big. He's big. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> us as cameramen, we judge him like, why you didn't shoot that one? That was perfect. <laughs> well, that was the other thing, too, is, you know, you were kind of walking towards the bull, and again, me and Jordan communicate. Me and Jordan kind of like stood next to each other, and Jordan looked at me. I looked at him. He goes, you know how big that bull is? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's big. He's big. <laughs> he was big. But man, that was well, that was such an incredible week. It was. That, that was that was that was sixteen days of 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 absolute rigorous work in what we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, morning and, to and daylight. I, I mean, and I made the comment the other day when we were standing on the mountainside looking at my bull, and and Wilbur made the comment. He said, "You know, thank y'all for being a part, and we thanked him for letting us be a part for Absolutely. so many years and doing mm-hmm. what he does. But to to accomplish what we accomplish in in a two and a half week period, it, it's it's understanding the game, knowing the game, mm-hmm. respecting the game. And and I don't mean this egotistical, but I, doing it the way we do it, I think we're pretty doggone good at it. Yeah. We've been blessed to, to kill the elk that we kill and hunt the places that we hunt, um, whether it be, I mean, I can remember hunting public ground and, and, and being successful and not being successful and even doing like we did this year. There's successful times and there's unsuccessful yeah. times. but. I consider each hunt successful no matter what you do because every time you go out there, you learn something. Exactly. And if you don't learn something and you're not thankful for what you had that day, in my mind, you don't need to be there. I think I was more thankful looking back at it now. I I think I learned more, you know, because that was my first time to be holding a bow mm-hmm. when when That's, during archery season. It was good for you to have a few days. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. Looking back at it, I mean, like that. some of the stuff I learned, I mean, like that was – it's invaluable to mm-hmm. me now. I mean, and it's it, it adds to it. And, and you you're, it's elk hunting. You're supposed to struggle yeah. a little bit. You're yeah, supposed it's, to earn tough. It, you know, you're dealing with hundreds of animals, and and sometimes you're dealing with one that don't want to do what you want them to do. It's their world. We're just there. Oh, absolutely. And you had to you have to remember that. You know, you're not. You know, that's their house where we're hunting. That's you know, right. that's that's where they, they live. There, three sixty five. We're visitors. When them suckers look by a tree, it's kind of like you going home and you your girlfriend or your wife moves all your furniture. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, something ain't right. Right. You know, they, they pick it out. Well, here it is, uh, September the 27th, Wednesday, September the 27th, and 
we've got today and tomorrow to get all our stuff gathered back up, and we're driving Head back right out to back New Mexico. Out. And it's going to be a pretty unique hunt. We're, we're, we we got Jimmy going on his annual elk hunt, but he's invited Cuz Strickland mm-hmm. from, from Mossy Oak. And, and for, for me and Jordan and even for Cuz, all three of us have, have been beside Cuz and worked with Cuz. I was blessed to work with Cuz for 15 years at Mossy Oak, and Jordan worked for several years with him. And Jimmy's been knowing him since they were young fellas. Back in the day, in the Those beginnings of Primo, two so. peas in a pod. Oh my gosh! <laughs> one thing I will say about bringing both of them on a trip like this: at some point in time, somewhere we're gonna eat good. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can. There's gonna be rest assured. Hamburgers and barbecue That's every right. day. Well, <laughs> cut, cut, Jimmy said he's gonna make sure he introduces Cuz to Bodacious, but I'm most sure Cuz has got a barbecue joint between uh, West Point, Mississippi, and, and Texas and Mexico somewhere. Fried hamburger somewhere. <laughs> so, so, but we've got that. We leave on Saturday, and then from there. Me and Jordan and Brad go down to West Texas to the Davis Mountains to elk hunt there for a few mm-hmm. days. And that's, that's a unique deal. I had absolutely. no idea there were even free-range elk in Texas until yeah. this that's year. That's not yeah. many people know about it. It's, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting. So um, we'll definitely do another podcast about that. We'll talk about the gun hunts. We'll talk about the Davis Mountain hunts. We're going to try to do these podcasts uh, on a weekly yeah. weekly standpoint. Especially we'll, when we get to Cotton Exactly. Yeah, we'll fun. carry it on into deer season. We're going to have some, some guests come in, and we're going to keep it as fun as we can. And, and look, um, anyone that, that listened to this, this is, again, one of the reasons that we did this. If you have any questions you want us to cover, any questions you want Wilbur or Brad or Jimmy to answer, send them in, and we will we'll address them as best as we can. But uh, I think we're about to run out of time for today. So thank you all for listening to Speak the Language podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it, and we'll see you all back next week. Troy Jordan, thanks for coming. See you.